What's going on with Daniel Ricciardo? It's a question that came up time and again in the years after he left Red Bull Racing in 2018. With that team, he'd shown that he was one of Formula One's most exciting talents. He'd won seven races. He moved to Renault and then McLaren in the hope of winning many more. I took a little bit of a gamble on myself. Obviously, the McLaren one, even with the win, like the win was a high and I can't remove that. Like that was, I can't ignore that. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. It was a challenge I took on and, and it, didn't, uh, it didn't work out how, how I hoped. Less than a year after that fabulous day at Monza, Daniel and McLaren decided to call it quits and part company. Now he's going back to where it all started, Red Bull, as a third driver. We won't see Daniel racing in 2023, but like the great driver that he is, he's already thinking further ahead. In Abu Dhabi, sure, I felt a little more emotion, but I don't truly believe it's my last race. Today, I can't tell you if it was or wasn't, and that's why I've chosen to take time off next year to really find that answer and, and not make an emotional decision or a quick decision or because of course there were times over the last little bit where I was like yeah I think I'm done. Welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me Tom Clarkson. Like many great drivers before him Daniel Ricciardo has decided the best way to continue his Formula One career is to take a step sideways and spend a year on the sidelines. When we sat down to record this interview, five days after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, I didn't know what kind of mood he'd be in or what he'd want to talk about. But above all, I wanted to find out what is going on with Daniel Ricciardo. I think by the end of this, you'll know the answer. He was in top form, funny, thoughtful and honest. We talked about his struggles at McLaren, whether he ever considered quitting altogether, why overthinking things can cause problems, his choice of going back to Red Bull and how a year away from Formula One's intense competition might do him a lot of good. We're going to miss Daniel's exhilarating overtaking in 2023, but as you listen to this, you get a feeling he's not done with Formula One. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Daniel, hello. The dust has settled on Abu Dhabi. How are you feeling? It was a bit dusty, wasn't it? Out in the desert. I feel good. I feel content. I would say the two two words I would use is content and relieved. Right. Explain both of those words. Why content, first of all? Content, um, I think just to have got through it all, like to have come through the other side, if you will. Um, there was certainly testing times, you know, this year even more than last. And I feel like I was still, of course, some Sundays would hurt, but I was still able to enjoy parts of the weekend and and still uh kind of took a lot of good memories away even in the second half of the season when everything had happened so for that I'm content with I guess the way I got through it and relieved I guess it goes hand in hand but also kind of relieved like at the end of a, of a season like even if whatever happened this year didn't happen I feel like you get to the final race and you do have a sense of relief and there's a bit of sadness as well because every year's big and busy and it's got a, like it carries its own moments and memories but ultimately just kind of relieved to have made it through these well these seasons are long they are I, mean, I think the whole paddock breathes a bit of a sigh of relief but how about excited because 
Let's start the chat talking about Red Bull, third driver. That news has just broken. Excited? Excited too. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's certainly more than more than a couple words, but excited to. I think it all just, especially for what what I've wanted, has made more and more sense. You know, since the summer break's gone on, and and with time, and I think it's perfect for what I want. Um, moving into next year, there's something about returning back to the Red Bull family which feels really right and that's made me kind of like yeah warm and cozy inside so there's like a lot of elements which kind of make it right and then obviously gives me a chance to stay involved but to still like with enough distance that I can still tick some boxes that I want you know next year and to get that time that I said I want and you know that time for myself and all of that but when I am involved then in F1 and when I'm at, you know, some events, race weekends, then I'm with Red Bull. You talk about what you want. Is it time for yourself? Is, is it that more than anything else? Yeah. And it's, I don't know if it's, if I'll define it as time for myself or time away from the sport or the competition, if you will, because I guess, again, they probably both go hand in hand, but the competition is, is why I do it. You know, that's why even away from Formula One, as soon as, you know, as a kid, I, I loved competing in any form of sport or little contest, but it's also, competition is also tiring. You know, it plays with your emotions. It's, it's, it's relentless, especially the way the season is. And it's like, so I, I also just feel as much as it's my biggest passion in life competing. I also just need to take a break from that and, and the highs and the lows. And I feel like, I just need to find a bit more balance in life because let's say life outside of a race car this year has been really fun and enjoyable. And I, and I love, I pretty much love every day, but the racing can obviously affect that. And you know, that, that creates peaks and troughs and those are a little, they're, they're relentless. And yes, it's what I signed up for, but I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, if I want to be my best self, I need to create some distance okay what will a third driver who's done more than 200 grand prix and won eight races what what is the job description um well, it's, are you getting 2011 <laughs> vibes here when you were test and reserve for toro rosso i mean it, it it's please tell me it's not the same job as that or is it no it's it's not and um look obviously on both sides we were clear and and they 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 i didn't need to say it you know, they said, they're like, look, mate, we appreciate where you are in your career. As you say, like how many races I've done, whatever, you're not going to be going back in time, standing at the back of the garage and just being a bit of a fly on the wall. Like, yes, I'll be involved. If I want to attend some debriefs, I will. Um, I'll do some simulator. But I would say it's as much for now a, let's say, marketing role position as it is a, call it driver position. So, I think with the sport growing, of course, as it is, they also see, you know, how I could be a good advocate for, for them as a brand, a team and, and all that. So it'll be a mix, a mix of, let's say, driver duties in terms of the sim and that. But also, yeah, like I, I guess we will not give myself credit, but where I could definitely contribute as well is, you know, my experience. And obviously being through a few environments the last few years, kind of returning back to Red Bull as well seeing how that team's growing and just trying to trying to contribute and help where I can. Look, returning back to Red Bull, how were the negotiations? Because I'm sure Helmut and Christian were quick to remind you that you left in 2018. 
during the negotiations, did they keep reminding you of that? No, they <laughs> didn't. And, you know, that's where I think I was very, like I, I told him, I was very honest and appreciative. I just said, guys, like, thank you. Like, thank you for just having this conversation with me. I said, no matter where this conversation goes, I was just like, thank you for the time because, yeah, you guys don't owe me anything. But I think as well, the, you know, like, if you take it for what it was, yes, I left Red Bull at 2018. It was big news and it was like, whoa, can't believe Ricardo's doing it, et cetera, et cetera. But as much as that was, let's say, a bit of a shock move and, of course, like, tough for me to as well, like, deliver the news, the relationship remained very good considering, obviously, the, the circumstance. And, look, like everything, like, over time... You go through experience, you mature, you grow, and it wasn't even discussed in terms of like, there was no carryover of, but remember what happened, like you owe us this or we're going to, it was, it wasn't even talked about. It was just, this is where we are today. And we would like to bring you back in the family. Is a race seat in the offing in 2024? It's not in terms of it's not there written it's not like, okay, if you're doing really well on the sim, we're going to promote you to a race seat. So it's, it's not. But of course, like that's, I mean, I think with time that will, I'll find my true answer. You know, if, if the grid is what I want again in 24, I think right now sitting here, like I don't feel completely done. So I'm like, I think I'll want to get back on the grid, but uh, time will tell. And it's ultimately, I mean, it's again, it's, I'm not going to say, yeah, I can have every seat I want. But ultimately it's like my decision if I want to be back and, and that fire and everything I expect to feel when the the lights go out and i'm watching on the sidelines uh yeah that's that's up to me to answer have have you at any point in the last four years thought looked over your shoulder seen that you know max has won 30 races since you left that team <laughs> i didn't even know yeah. i mean i knew i knew it was a lot <laughs> half, well, half of them this year but, <laughs> i mean have you looked over your shoulder at all and just gone how different things could have been I don't look at it like that because nothing is sure in terms of, you know, if I, okay, if I stayed there the last four years, could I say I would have had more podiums than I've had because of what have I had, maybe three or something? Yeah. Like I'm confident to say, yeah, I would have had more podiums than I've had, but you just don't know if obviously at the time I felt like it was right for me. And I, I felt like I needed a change and I needed to kind of just remove myself a bit. So if I continued, would would that urge have grown? Would I have become, let's say, more curious or less happy or whatever? So it's not a sure thing that it would have been great if I stayed. Because obviously I I made the the move at the time because I felt like it was right for me. So I don't look back and say, man, I shouldn't have. But of course I can you know, be honest with myself and say, yeah, look, I took a little bit of a gamble on myself. I still feel like the Renault one was, was pretty good in terms of especially 2020. Like I was one of the best seasons I drove in F1 and to get the team back on the podium, I was very proud of that. But, uh, obviously the McLaren one, even with the win, like the win was a high and I can't remove that. Like that was, I can't ignore that, but yeah, I could, you know, I can look and say, all right, yeah, I tried as well with this one. Yeah, it didn't quite work out. So you live and you learn, but I don't look back with regret. I just say, okay, it was a challenge I took on and, and it didn't uh, 
it didn't work out how, how I hoped. Can we go into more detail about what's happened at McLaren? Can you explain in layman's terms what you weren't getting from this year's car in particular that you need as a racing driver? I think it was, even though the rules changed so much, it was ultimately I, you know, struggled for, let's say, my level of ability, at least in my eyes. I struggled in both years. And ultimately, it's something fundamental with the car and myself that I don't get. It's a thing of feel. It's feedback. It's like queuing. What do you mean it's queuing? Queuing. Oh, wait, maybe that's a sim term. Oh, okay. Wait, what part of the corner? <laughs> I just yeah. used a word. I don't even know what it means. Wait, we talk about that in sim. Basically, the way you feel the car and, and is it doing what you expect? Is it rotating the way you expect? Or, or is something so corner, a bit off? Is it corner entry? It all starts there. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you struggle with a corner on the exit, normally it's it's a product of what's happened through the corner that's put you in a position of, let's say, difficulty on the exit. So most difficulties start on the entry. Maybe not all, but most. But it's 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 not even like, I mean, it it is kind of an entry thing, but it's more just like a feel and a limitation. And then you, I think the problem is, I also look back at, my very first race with McLaren, I outqualified Lando. In Bahrain, I remember. And that was when I was still fairly green with the car, if you know what I mean. So I kind of wonder, I'm like, did we just kind of get lost along the way? And it was kind of like, did I then start to try too hard? And did we try to engineer it too hard and, and get away from, let's say, my strengths and then try to drive the car a certain way, which, yeah, maybe was a weakness for me um, and something that I couldn't really grasp. So... I don't know. It's um, it's an interesting one, but I think ultimately, like I, I then will just accept that, at least from my side. Like I think on both ends we struggled. You know, in terms of also the team trying to understand what it was and how to then update it or improve it. But from my side, I'm also like, okay, look, I'm not perfect. Sure, I've got some weaknesses. This car happens to expose a few of them. It's a place for me to work on. But let's say I still obviously didn't find a way to gel at one with this car often enough how different are the engineering approaches at mclaren and red bull in particular i think from a from an effort it's the same or i mean i feel like we would stay longer at the track at mclaren you know and, and maybe because yeah we're trying to find a few more tents than than a red bull especially the last year or two but there's a lot of attention to detail and it's we we didn't not get it right because we were all just leaving early and being lazy like it was it was probably the opposite where sometimes we probably put too much thought into it and too much effort and then it was like yeah sometimes you got to get back to basics you know but I think we acknowledged that through the season last year over the summer break actually and that's where I my voice is kind of weird right now I don't know why there you go it's a long season Yes. I have not been partying for I the was record. Just ask what I you really have <laughs> after Abu Dhabi as well I went to bed I didn't go out but um but yeah, after the summer break last year, we kind of tried to just strip it back and be like, okay, maybe there's too much information. We're, we're trying to just, we're overcomplicating it where I'm driving consciously as opposed to subconsciously and I'm thinking through the corner where I should just be doing. So we did acknowledge that and I think we did make progress, especially second half of last year. Look, if I, I guess ultimately if I knew what we, let's say, didn't get right as, as a unit, then I guess we would have found a way so yeah I can't be critical of the way we tried to attack it and we put in hours and hours and and 
really did try to solve the puzzle, but I guess on both sides we can ultimately now just put our hand up and say, look, we, we tried and, and didn't quite succeed. And even with this car, you know, the fact that you had COVID during the Bahrain test, did you feel that you were then playing catch up for those early races and then it almost sp- starts to spiral, doesn't it? Even at that point. It's funny because in definitely in Bahrain, like first race, I felt affected by not doing the testing. But then the early part of the season, I was actually probably more competitive than I was, I don't mean, in the, in the later parts of the year. Actually, um, yeah, great, great weekend in, in Melbourne. Yeah, so Melbourne, race, yeah. I felt like I had good pace. Even even Saudi, I remember Quali was really close. And I mean, I actually remember there was a, I had like a small issue as well in qualifying where I felt like I probably could have um, found that extra 10th I needed. So I say I. It was there on the table, um, but we had a small issue. So let's say I was competitive in the first few, bar Bahrain, uh, Imola as well. But uh, so I, I wouldn't say, I, I would say it only affected me for, for Bahrain. Then I was pretty comfortable. But then we brought updates around, I think, Barcelona. And it was then where I then started to struggle a bit more. And I don't know if that was then coincidence, but then the gap started to increase again where... Up until then, I felt like I was always, okay, within a tenth or two of Lando and we were kind of going a bit more nip and tuck and then that's where it started to separate again. And the same issues as last year with the old regulations. Yeah, there's still, like the cars certainly behaved a bit different, but I would say like the, the DNA of the car is still the same and where I would struggle, it was ultimately like the same thing, but... Like I could honestly just strip it all back and just say, yeah, it's just, it's just confidence because I, I lack that extra bit of feel with the car to put it on the very limit and to know what I'm going to get. So there was very few laps this year, unfortunately, where I crossed the line in quality or something. And I was like, that was a good lap. But it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Because let's go back to your time with Max Verstappen. The average qualifying gap between the two of you was a tenth, I think. One tenth. So... It's not, you know, history proves that you can do this at the very highest level. So it's, it's been one of the great puzzles of the last two years, isn't it? Yeah, it really has. And I think as well, going, like going back to Red Bull, I think there is, of course, there's an element of me which is curious in terms of just jumping on the sim and just seeing how I do, even just for myself, like to, let's say a car that, of course, it's changed in the last four years, but a car that obviously I knew well had a lot of success with if, if it just kind of brings it all back and I'm like, Oh yeah, this, this gels, this is me. Um, and and so you'll be able to there. tell from the sim, will you? I'll be able to get an idea. Like it's, I think I'll know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, obviously if I'm there on lap times on the sim, I think that would give me the confidence that then I could obviously replicate it on track. But if I'm half a second off on the sim, then maybe maybe i've got old <laughs> confidence is is a is an intriguing thing with racing drivers ferrari used to give michael schumacher a day's testing at the start of every season because he just said i just need to go around fiorano and just prove to myself that i can still do this it's, it's you're all the same yeah it's funny i had that for many years i would say after a few years in f1 then it kind of it it didn't happen anymore but all through like my junior categories and the early years of F1, after a summer break or a, a winter break, 
in in Europe um, because we wouldn't be in a race car for yeah three months I would always have that a bit like you said with Schumacher I would have a little bit of an apprehensive fear <laughs> if that makes sense of okay can I still do it or I was kind of worried that like is the speed gonna feel too fast like am I gonna am I gonna have fear or am I going to be scared or like it's just it's more something you put in your head because you just haven't done it for so long it's like but then yeah you do a few laps and you're like okay nah I, I still I still got this are you quite intrigued to maybe try and jump in the 2021 Red Bull and just do some laps in that I think if if I had the opportunity yes um yeah to fill the car of course but more more just to stay a little bit sharp and you know I, I don't get I'm not a driver that's putting my hand up for testing all the time like I testing doesn't excite me that much being transparent with you but yeah I know that it would do good for me and especially if I'm not you know racing in in 2023 of course even if I train every day which I won't but even if I do you know you're not driving an F1 car so your body won't you don't go through the g-forces you don't so even just to kind of keep my body a little bit in tune um you know, I'd say yes to some testing opportunities. Okay, Daniel, that's the checkered flag. Not the race we wanted, to be honest. I know it's been up pretty painful of late, but we'll keep at it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, don't worry, Daniel, we're still pushing. We're still on it. It'll come. Daniel, how hard did things get this year? Did you think in the summer break of just doing a Juan Pablo Montoya and stopping mid-season as he did in 2006 or Nicky Lauda in 1979 when he just at the Montreal Grand Prix pulled into the Brabham pits and said Bernie I've had enough that's pretty hectic um I commend them for that <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no I didn't and of course you know I I, I knew the reality that you know, it's not like my season was going to turn around um, because I felt like it would have done so already. So I knew that there was probably some struggles ahead, but I also believed that there would be some good races ahead ultimately. So that was that was enough to keep me keep me in it. And in a way, like I felt like it would have been the easy way out where it's not me. It's not my character. Like I still wanted to show up and try to pull off some some good results and to yeah, to kind of, I know it, it's like, it's for myself because I want to like dig deep and find like my true character, but I also appreciate that there's people who can draw some inspiration from that as well. So I feel like that's a consequence of what I choose to do, but so I I did want to do it obviously for myself, but I knew also there could be a, a kind of positive, uh, what but do you say? Singapore, ripple, right? Ripple you get, effect. Yeah. But also you then get a result like Singapore and it all seems worthwhile, right? Yeah. And that that's that's the thing with this sport. Like it it creates, it can create such short-term memory where you could struggle like hell for 15 races and then you have a big race and you're like, oh, that was worth it. Can you explain to people listening to this just how all-consuming Formula One is for a racing driver and how the highs affect everything that you do and equally how the lows affect everything that you do i think when you put everything into it and you're anything you know when you're so passionate about something obviously you invest so much time and energy and it's also like mental energy you know like even when you're not doing it you're thinking about it 
and whether you're going to bed at night or you're waking up in the morning and it's it's there so it's always even if you don't like to admit it it's always consuming you to some degree more so, so when it's not going well yeah yeah because like winning's easy in terms of I, no I, I say that in terms of like everything around you is is it's it's all roses you know like everyone's patting you on the back everyone's on a high like from that point of view it's easy it's because your emotions are just they're there they're happy you're smiling you're successful your your confidence is beaming so from that point of view winning is easy where there's not really many obstacles to deal with did you think max verstappen has had of all the 20 drivers one of the easiest seasons <laughs> i don't want to complicate it as it's easy to win but the the effect of winning is easy or what winning does to you is easy in terms of yeah like again you win a race you go back home everyone's sweet you know you you go buy dinner for everyone and it's just like life's life's easy life's normal it's fun it's whatever but when you're going through the lows and that it's like oh and then you know that there's then this starts to become not hesitations questions being asked and it's doubts and you know even it's from people around you whether it's the team like it's like so then that's kind of consuming okay what are they thinking like i really need a good race to prove them that i can do it and so it's just it's just a lot more wearing and that's even if you don't read media or whatever but it's you know there's just a kind of a weight that's kind of in the air do you read what's written and and listen to what's said so i don't but inevitably you get showing stuff you know because even even with a team whatever team you're with you know thursday's media day so they're going to give you the latest news okay if you haven't seen this article was written so be prepared for questions on that so even if i don't choose to read it i'm gonna see it at some point and i might not see all 100 articles but i'll see 10 of them so you can't avoid that so from max i don't think he's had an easy season in terms of to still show up every weekend and it's what i would used to say also about lewis you know like his dominance you can't mistake that it's easy like yes okay he's definitely doing it easier than others but then when there's the expectation of the world that okay you have to win this weekend like if max doesn't win this year it's like oh yeah that wasn't a good race for max so there's that as well which week in week out it's if it was easy, we'd all be doing it. So well, let's I'm, just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, one, and one of the few races that Max didn't win, Brazil, everyone jumped on it, didn't they? With the whole sixth place thing with Chaco yeah. and goodness knows. But Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you, in a way, you can't win because it's like everyone just sets the bar so high. But I'm not going to sit here and moan about that because I know that that comes with the territory. And when you put yourself out there on the world scale and try to ultimately be better than every other single individual around the world then you've got to expect some of that so obviously i wish it wasn't there but we're not we're not naive you know, hey daniel just talking to you now the i can see that the analysis is still going on in your head i feel that there's a hunger still i i, I didn't know so we're talking five days after the abu dhabi grand prix and i didn't i was quite intrigued to see what kind of daniel I'd find, as you said, you were relieved and content, but I still feel that there's a little fire in there. How, how determined are you to come back in 24? There is certainly still a fire, and that's why I haven't chose to completely walk away. 
because I want to see what happens to this fire if it stays relatively dormant. Is, is that the right word? <laughs> or if it comes and, and comes back in, in a big way. Serious case of FOMO when everyone's <laughs> lining up on the grid in Bahrain. Yeah, and, and I think that's why in Abu Dhabi, sure, I felt a little more emotion, but I'd be lying if I said, yeah, I felt like Seb on that weekend because I don't truly believe it's my last race. But of course, there was an element where I'm like, maybe it is. So let's try and enjoy it and soak everything in. So today, I can't tell you if it was or wasn't. And that's why I've obviously chosen to take time off next year to, to really find that answer and, and not make an emotional decision or a quick decision or because, of course, there were times, you know, over the last little bit where I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. But that's just speaking out of emotion. So I won't I won't know till the clock keeps ticking and, and then I'll see. I guess it, it depends what offers come through the door, doesn't it? You know, uh, yeah, I mean, Gunter that... Steiner said he was very keen for you to join Haas and, and you thought otherwise. Yeah, if Toto Wolf comes knocking or Christian Horner comes knocking or I don't know. Do you remember those? There was that time when you were being linked to Ferrari as well. I can't remember what year that yeah. was. Uh, yeah, you know. there was a couple times where that was linked. But I think going back to a seat next year, you know, as, as Gunter said, he reached out and stuff. The more, as I said, since the summer break, the more days that passed, and especially like I did the triple header to get back into the, the, the second half of the season. So three races on the bounce and it became more and more clear that it wasn't about what phone call I was receiving. It was about me acknowledging that I just ultimately don't want to be competing next year. So in a way, I am glad that, let's say, a top team didn't reach out because it's one of those ones where you, you probably feel like, oh, I got to sign it. But yeah, I think deep down, like I was just craving a bit of a bit of distance. Burnout? Can we call it that? Yeah, you could call it some burnout. And, and I'm not like I'm not um, afraid to admit that or say that. And it's, it's one of those ones that, you know, everyone will have an opinion and, and this and that. But it's ultimately like I know what I feel, I know what I want. So yeah, it was, it was some of that. And I feel very, I don't want to say I'm the only driver that feels this way, but I wouldn't say I'm the normal, even just say like sportsman where I kind of use like practice makes perfect. Like the more I do sometimes, the more I'm just like getting kind of lost in it where I kind of feel like the power of a break for me, some time off, I could come back better, which sounds kind of counterintuitive to some, but I know for me, that could actually be really good. Well, and I think back to some of your, certainly your qualifying performances, where sometimes they came out of the blue. Max Verstappen, is it pole today? No, he misses out, and he's been denied by his teammate, Daniel Ricciardo. And he finished P1. I got to relax a little. I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Mexico. In 2018. Yeah. That, you just bang that one in right at the end. It was like, whoa, where did, you know. That one was of, really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't um, it? So it's like practice makes perfect. No, that came out of. Yeah. And that, so going back to that, so I'm not going to talk about the actual poll itself in terms of, yeah, it was the lap of my life or anything, but it was, I was at a level where 
I knew the car so well. I had so much confidence and understanding in the car that, because I think the first run in Q3, I was maybe three tenths off max, who was on provisional pole. And it wasn't even, man, I need to find three or four tenths to try and have a chance at pole. It wasn't, it, it wasn't that thought. It was like, oh yeah, I know where that time is. Like, I know I can find it. I know what this car can do. I just haven't put that lap together. So that lap itself was literally just me kind of connecting the dots and just putting it together. It wasn't like driving out of my skin. It wasn't this miracle lap. It was just, yeah, I know I can break three meters later in that corner. I know I can pick up the throttle a little bit earlier. And that's just what I did. So I just executed what I knew was possible. Do you believe in form? Because that strikes me as a man who's completely at the top of his form. I guess, but I think form is just another word for, well, I don't know. I'm not going to try and make up another word for it. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I look back and ultimately like what I've tried to just describe was just, you know, I was I was at one with the car. I knew what I would get. And I think then you you comfort comes from that and those feelings. And then ultimately, yeah, form can come. But yeah, form's more like a, a result. Okay, I don't like stuff. the word form either, but when you're performing at a really high level everything seems so logical yeah and and in a way like a bit effortless yeah yeah so that that i can definitely agree with and yeah just when you're on it's like you don't miss well and i just like do that a, and then that'll happen yeah what are we worried about you know yeah. yeah and okay so what are you doing even the way you just described it it was effortless it was completely subconscious you did not even think about that and i think that's also what form is and that's kind of stripping it back to where sometimes you just overanalyzed and it's like, mate, just go back to basics. Just, just drive it. Just, you know how to drive it fast. Just do it. Did and you I ever think that's get also close what... to Mexico 2018 at McLaren? Just in terms more, of the, more the so feeling. La- more so last year. Yeah. There was a few, definitely a few times last year where I felt, I felt like, oh yeah, like the car's doing what I want and I feel, I feel pretty good with it. Um, yeah. There was a few times. But I think the problem was as well is, you know, maybe I'll have one good weekend and then I was like, oh, sweet. Like, it all makes sense now. We've got this. And you go to the next weekend and all of a sudden you're lost again or just it's not doing what it did last week. And then now you're trying to like adapt a, a new style or set up the car differently. And it was just that was where there was no real consistency. It just unfortunately, like when we took one step forward, it didn't mean that the following weekend we were going to take another one. It was which is, again, something I still can't fully explain. Talking of the big teams coming knocking, I know people listening will want to know, how close did you get to hooking up with Mercedes? For next year? Well, you can, was there a time in the past as well? Oh, <laughs> no, I was like, um, no, I mean, I mean, going back to the past, like obviously 2018, you know, I spoke to a few teams. And yeah, Mercedes was one. But I don't think that's a, a surprise or a secret. It was, again, I'm not saying that, yeah, there was a contract on the table and I. it, it was more just, yeah, it was just to try and figure out what their plans were as well. But uh, Would you have liked to have been up against Lewis in the same car? Yeah, like I, I, I always had a bit of a, um, what? a I've desire. Done Vettel, I've done Max, I'll do Lewis now. Right? Yeah, like it was, because <laughs> I always, I mean, as, as, a, as a competitor and going back to the reason why I do this is I want to see if I'm the best. 
and obviously Lewis was so successful for so many years. So I, I was just the thought of going against him. And it wasn't even like, yeah, like I know I can beat him. So put me against him. It was just, I'm curious. I want to know. I also wanted to know what makes him so good. So like, obviously when you work in a team together, you, you see more than you do if you don't uh, work in the same environment. So even from that point of view, but yeah, to test myself, it would have been fun. But then for, yeah, so for next year, for like, let's say reserve talks and that, uh, I, di- I did speak to Mercedes as well. So yeah, that was, it was, it was really Mercedes and Red Bull were the, the two that I was, you know, most serious about. How close did it get with Mercedes? Or, or did Lewis's comments in Monza where he said, no, Daniel's too good to be an, a, a, a number three driver? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I don't <laughs> know did if that he changed anything. For you? Yes. <laughs> but uh but no, it was, uh, look, there were some conversations for sure. It wasn't, it wasn't to a point where, yeah, again, like here's a contract. It's up to you if you want to sign it. It, d- it didn't get that far. But then, yeah, like once I, once I had the initial chats with Red Bull, it became more clear to me that I probably didn't know it a few months ago. But then when we really started to, let's say, engage a little further, that's when it, I was like, oh, it was kind of like a light bulb where I was like, there's only like, this is this is the only place for me. Like it's, it's perfect. What's been the reaction of Max and Checo to you coming back? It's been nice. Um, actually, it's been nice. I, I had a little word to both of them in Abu Dhabi. I think when they started to, yeah, obviously whether they heard internally from the team or they caught a bit of wind that it was starting to get close. Um, I think they were excited and I'm removing any, I mean, not, not that it's, I don't even have to say like removing any ego or anything, but I'm just, I literally, I'm just, honestly grateful to be back in in that environment to have an opportunity just to to work with them again and to try and help really i mean people would be like but they don't need help because they're dominating at the moment but yeah i mean they're a target now you know they've got the big target on their back so uh if i can help them then i'll feel like i've made a contribution do you sense that that 10 percent reduction in wind tunnel time is, is gonna hurt what's what's the mood in the camp at red bull like it's you can't you can't deny that it doesn't hurt because you know when you talk in f1 every bit counts you know it's like everyone's chasing that last not even an inch it's that last whatever micro inch so yeah 10 percent is 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 a, is a serious number but they're obviously in a good position where they've got a very good car so you'd think they've obviously learned enough from this car to then still have a competitive car next year but that 10% is, you know, even if they're winning next year, they, they would say, well, we could be 10% better or whatever. So it's not nothing. It's definitely not nothing. But um, I know there's a lot of people in the team that were there back in my day and knowing what they're like, that'll just motivate them even more. So that, yeah, that's... Uh, they are for... I mean, all <laughs> of the top... or every team is, but particularly the top teams. Ferocious competitors, aren't they? Yeah, and that's... Like, I love that. I mean, you just look at the way Christian dealt with, with the cost cap, breaching the cost cap. And, you know, he came out he on, came the, attack, out on yeah. the attack. That is his, his form of defense, his attack, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, even like as a fan of the sport, you know, watching Mercedes and Red Bull go at it last year and, and Max and Lewis and that, it was, it's awesome. Like, it's it's just... You, it just highlights how much it means to to everyone that puts puts the effort in, and it's like that's that's what you want, you know. You want this just intense, heavy competition. So, as, as you say, it's it's the heavyweights, you know, and that's that's what everyone wants to see. It's like with boxing, you know, everyone wants to watch the heavyweights go go at it. 
What a Belgian Grand Prix this has been. Mercedes locked out the front row. Danny Ricciardo, though, is going to take the chequered flag. It's Red Bull's 50th win in Formula One. It's Ricciardo's third win in six races. He wins the Belgian Grand Prix. Dio, how do you think the 2014 spec Daniel Ricciardo would have dealt with this season in particular? Because I think I, I think mm. back to that season and I can't think of any drivers on the grid that did a better job than you that year. That was Pete, yeah, Pete Ricciardo. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can agree with. I mean, again, it, it's it's all talk because I'm not a world champion and I didn't win the world title in 14. But like, I remember just I had so much confidence that I was just like, yeah, if, if I had the car to win this year, I, I would have won. Like that was just that was just where I was at and. It wasn't even a thing kind of thing. And that's where I wouldn't say that was even form. It was just confidence. And it was just like, yeah, you obviously, I stepped up to the the big team and now I'm playing in the big league. But I was just, I just loved it. Like I just thrived off that. And, you know, I guess you, you go one way or another, you know, you either get overwhelmed by that environment and you get the, the pressures too much. You feel intimidated or you're, you know, whatever. With, with being on a big stage or you just soak it all in and just be like, this is easy. Like this is, I, I live for this stuff. And, and that's really how I felt. Because I'm sort of meandering my way towards uh, a comment that you made about Lando a couple of months ago where you said ignorance is bliss. You're at that stage oh. of your career <laughs> where you just... I probably don't do him justice, <laughs> the, poor, the poor kid. I probably do You know what I mean? <laughs> you just get in and you do it and you're feeling confident. And, and have you seen a little bit of yourself 2014 spec in Lando Norris? Yeah, definitely some elements of it and you know I think that's ultimately just a a young driver coming in and and doing well you know when you're young it's like you're you feel somewhat invincible in terms of that that's maybe too dramatic but you can just do it you know in terms of like when I say you can just do it it's I'm trying to refer to like a night out you know it's like at this age now, it's like, oof, like that hurts. Where when you're young, you just you just go and you go and you go. And that's like the you racing. You think about tomorrow. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Whereas no, now you're thinking, hang on, what have I got to do tomorrow? Yeah. Before? How am I going to feel? <laughs> yeah. And so it's, sorry, sorry. It's, I'm not, I'm not putting myself in the position where I'm, I'm old, but it's more when you're young, you're just, it's just carefree. You got less responsibilities. It's whatever. And you're just, you're just in and it's working and you're just going through it. And you're like, oh yeah, sweet. I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. And so yeah, like I, I I see I see where he's thrived off that and and in that in that environment and I think as well it's a bit like with me and Vettel you know I don't think anyone was really expecting me to beat Vettel and I think when I came no, into he McLaren just won the last nine races of 2013 yeah so no you're, one you're was expecting on right, me man. no <laughs> one was expecting me to beat Vettel let's be clear sorry no one maybe I don't even know if my dad expected me to beat him but anyway um, again just to be clear I'm not putting myself saying I'm Vettel and I was a four-time champ, but I think coming into McLaren, I would assume that there was more people saying I would beat Lando than not. So, you know, then when you're kind of the underdog and then when you start beating your opponent, then it's like everything's just even easier, so to speak, in terms of like you just don't have much to think about. So you've been alongside Vettel. You've been alongside uh, Max Verstappen. Maximus. Do you put Norris in the same bracket as those guys? It's tough until, I think until he's in a, let's say a top team in terms of until he's regularly running up the front, it's tough to make a direct comparison because 
and this I'm not I'm obviously not trying to like discredit him but until you really win and then to see how you handle that that's where like I go back to Lewis and it's like yeah he was winning and whatever and yeah the car was great but he still did it and he still handled all the pressure and all that and he still did it and performed and did what everyone thought he could do so that's where it's hard to draw a complete comparison but from a like a driving ability and stuff yeah the kids like the kids very good where are his I, I, I don't know i don't know if i could say like is he a max verstappen that's that's a little hard um for now but yeah i'm not gonna say he's not good because the kid's good do you feel that mclaren is his team now do you feel it's been built around him um i mean in a short answer yes um but that's not i don't want to say yeah they just kind of put everything into him and not me but yeah like he's he's growing up in that team it's 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 familiar to him now and he's obviously proved you know his pace and his speed and that so yeah i think everyone's obviously everyone at mclaren is is excited for what lando can do for sure and if you have any advice for oscar piastri coming in as a rookie what would it be i think just go out and drive like i know that sounds like a really lazy response but it's just go and drive like yeah learn be a sponge but drive don't set the bar too high for yourself if you end up doing better than maybe what you thought like awesome but just take it race by race and as long as you're learning and you feel you're improving every race then i think that's all you can kind of ask for yourself and and do you think andreas seidel and tom stallard your chief race engineer are they going to be are they the right kind of guys to be nurturing a young a young guy like that i, I think so you know i think also with you know, even if we didn't quite get it right from my side, you know, with, with McLaren, I think they still would have learned a bunch from our two years and maybe things where we deviated or went a little wrong or sideways, whatever. So I think all that can be, that knowledge can be passed on to Oscar. And I think they will, yeah, I would like to think they would kind of have a little bit of a head start from that point of view. What is... Daniel Ricciardo going to do next year when he's not doing these Red Bull marketing activities and on the sim with Red Bull what's it's the gonna, plan it's going to party like there's no tomorrow <laughs> it's going to be a full-time disco goer is it bucket list territory <laughs> are you lit, are you just yeah, going to be I, I want to that like because it's you know I don't want to be one of these people that are like yeah when I get the time I'll do it Again, because who knows, maybe I'm back into this whole cycle in 2024 and maybe then I, I could be back in F1 another five years. Who knows? You know, that takes me to 40. So I'm aware that there is definitely some things that I don't want to make an excuse for not doing next year. There is some things that I just want to say yes to and tick some boxes because... You know that film, Yes Man, Jim Carrey? Is yeah. that going to be you? maybe <laughs> for the next 12 months you know what this is bad because i'm such a jim carrey fan but i can't remember the movie i i can picture the cover of it but i can't yes remember everything yeah okay <laughs> i mean probably not everything because there's a few still there's a few things i probably don't want to say yes to but um but yeah i'm i'm trying to hold myself accountable for not making an excuse of like okay if i've got the time and it's something i've always wanted to do then tick that box and because i think it will also give me what I want to get out of next year is is that little bit of like self-reflection and doing some fun little trips or whatever it is might, well, I'm sure would just give me that. And I want to do like some national parks and just, 
yeah, a lot of stuff in, I guess, to do with nature. To help you with that self-reflection. Yeah, just to Almost get, remove yourself. Yeah, yeah. And even like, I would love to do, I mean, this sound, these things all sound kind of simple, but, or silly, but like a phone detox, you know, and just kind of, because we're so reliant on that and we're constantly like getting information all the time and it's, that's also consuming. So like, I would love to just get away for a little bit and literally just kind of shut off and just go back to like basics and uh on the farm in australia or i'd love to spend time on the farm i, I want to so one thing i want to do is i, I want to ride across america on a um like a mini motorbike <laughs> um what route 66 are we talking about basically from new york to la yeah that's um, pretty much the, yeah. the mother road is yeah but we want to like it. make it an exciting journey and not not kind of go the line of least resistance um, but hang on, on a mini motorbike like you know yeah fact, when you were last on the pod you talked about the 110 <laughs> yeah right? the 110 there you go exactly you're on gonna go from new york to la on one. yeah <laughs> that's that's the flat out the whole way <laughs> we, we might have to you know as you said like bore them out a bit but would you make do a bit route 66 more power? or would you would you take um carve your own you seem to have we carved your own path <laughs> in life so yeah i the path is still yet to be decided but it's something like I always, you know, I I remember I was like, I've said it for so many years when I was young. I was like, okay, when I eventually stop racing and get a bit of time, I want a road trip, you know, around America. And then that's kind of turned into, wait, let's, because I, I think a theme as well next year, as much as I want to do a lot of exciting things, I also want to take the chance of having, call it a year off to slow down. And I think also what like a 110 going across America would symbolize is like slowing down and just taking everything in. And, you know, we're always thinking about getting somewhere as quick as we can, getting the job done, getting out. And it's like, no, no, I want to soak everything in and just be, yeah, as I said, like just go back to basics and appreciate like all the little things. And of course, just, just also the, the unknown you know, like, of course, we'll plan out like the trip and the legs and that. But OK, what's that town like or what are we going to come across along the way? Like, it's just the whole unknown is going to be so exciting. And so, yeah, these are like little or well, that's I say that's quite a big box, but something I definitely want to tick. And I'm sure I will, you know, even it's like I know this sounds deep, but even it's like there'll be nights where I'm probably just staring at the stars, you know, and I could get emotional. I could reflect on my career. I th could be thinking about. Who knows? But I just, I feel like that will be very good and, and quite powerful. Two and a half thousand miles on a 110. That's 11. Wait, no, it must be more than that. I think Route 66 is, is about that. Well, I'm talking New York to LA. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Do you think you're going to miss the adrenaline, you know, of, of Spa, of, of Saudi, Monaco? Yes, but I think that's also where I will try to find it in other avenues because I, yeah, of course, like I am every, every freaking F1 driver is an adrenaline junkie. You know, it's, that's, that's a fact. So I will naturally still put myself in situations where I'm getting a rush. Okay. Will it always match F1? Maybe not because you also, not only you have the speed, but you have the competition on top of that. So, you know, I could be doing something crazy or something fast but there's most likely not going to be the element of competition. So, but yeah, I think I'll definitely still do things that scratch that itch. I don't know exactly what everything will be yet, but that's kind of nice as well. Like where I sit here now, the thought of 
also not knowing some things that I'll do next year or things I'll come across. And like, that's also exciting. So can, can I throw some ideas at you? Hit me. Go on. Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah. Super Bowl's on the list. Um, the mighty Buffalo Bills. Like, I think I'll go there probably regardless. But if they make Wait, it. Are you a I'm Rihanna a, fan? She's already booked for half time, isn't she? Um, I remember her first song that I heard was SOS. I definitely, I mean, I'm not someone that like is listening to her on my headphones all the time but uh yeah is she awesome and is she a boss a boss lady whatever they say <laughs> yeah so no like yes and to be honest the super bowl halftime show is like it's normally so good like the spectacle is so amazing that it's like the artist is the icing on the cake but it's just the whole show is already like phenomenal and she'll kill it yeah all right what about um ufc Yes. Because you did a bit of training. Was it Charles Oliveira? Yeah, right? well done, mate. How, how did you go with that? Anyone who hasn't seen the UFC, take a look. I know what Have you're about you got to the say. nasty streak to do that? I mean No way, let's be let's be clear. I'm a super fan and I love I love training, but I'd be lying if I said, yeah, in my DNA I'm a fighter. Like, yeah, I would I would love to throw elbows and also receive elbows, like no, as much as you want to think you're a tough guy, like I think you're, you either have that or you don't. But it's also, I think speaking of adrenaline rushes, I think that would be amazing. I know there's these like uh, charity boxing events and stuff. So even for that, like to actually do a little bit of a fight camp and then to step in the ring with someone, obviously at a similar level to me, aka very low level. Well, um, former that teammate would be quite Danny Kvyat maybe. Actually, I've seen it. I've seen him spar a little bit. He's he's definitely better than me at the moment. So I would have to up my game. But um, but that would be that would be because I've always being such a fan. I've always wanted to like feel like what's it like walking out? What's it like walking into the ring and like all that? So yeah, but it's that the could bit be that something. comes next, right? Yeah, but like <laughs> I don't know. There is a there is a weird curiosity of like what does it feel like? like I, is the adrenaline a, so high you don't feel the punches to the face? I don't know. As a but UFC anyway, fan. My mum's probably going to be like, no, Daniel, don't do this. <laughs> just, I've just got you back from Formula One. Look, as a UFC fan, are you a boxing fan as well? Yeah. So I, like, I always think, is, is, it, is that sort of rallying in Formula One? It seems, you know, that the two don't seem to mix. No, they're, I, I mean, they're under the umbrella of like combat sports. So I think there's definitely an appreciation and a love for all of them. I, I, do, I do prefer mixed martial arts more so what what uh, let's say what the ufc is i just love the variety of it and where it can go and the the matchups as well you know so the the clashing of styles is is right. much bigger dl talking of matchups right who on the grid do you reckon you could you could take down oh or who, well, who would you struggle that's with? what i was let's quite... put it that way who would you struggle with <laughs> i was quite sad when max pushed ocon and he got I do remember his line or whatever. I'm like, come on, he just pushed him. I'm like, <laughs> if he threw a if he threw an overhand right at him, I get it. But a little push, like come on, Nelson PK did it um, in Hockenheim in 1982, or James Hunt did it, I think, in Montreal. Didn't yeah, it? So there are, there is a yeah. history of it. But but no, I'm not I'm not obviously uh, condoning that. Do you know what? I saw the photograph of the, the the 20 drivers in Abu Dhabi all going out to dinner. Everyone said, oh, the camaraderie was amazing. And Alex Albon said to me, I've never laughed so much in my life. And mm. I was like, well, when I first started coming to Formula One races in the mid 90s, there was genuine animosity between the drivers. I was like, I can't compute 
what I've just heard Alex describe with what I knew of Formula One in the mid nineties or what, what I was told. And, and, and Damon Hill seconded that actually. He just said in his day, when he left Formula One, I said, any chance of the whole grid going out to dinner to celebrate? And he said, not a chance. Most people didn't even notice I'd gone type, type thing. Um, but is, is it genuine, that camaraderie between you guys now? Yeah, like the... So speaking of the dinner, it was... I would say it was really refreshing. Yes, yeah, so many of us got on. So We all laughed. That's a fact. As a competitor, of course, you always have maybe like a little bit of a guard up. And then when we all kind of got around together and you could just feel like there was just some honesty and whatever shared, it was like, okay, like the guard slowly got lowered and we were just like, you know what? I mean, who are we kidding? Like we all have the same passion in life. So like for sure we're going to get along or we, we have things in common or the same interests. And so even like when we did a dinner in 2016, that was the last time we did a big driver one. And I don't remember it being like it was last week. So I don't know if it's maybe well, through, the banter wasn't as good. Yeah, like the, the camaraderie was like last week was special, you know, like that wasn't in a way it wasn't normal. So I was trying to figure it out. Is it is it is it because now with social media and whatever, like we kind of know more about each other. So therefore we can understand each other a bit better or I don't know what it is. But um, I think for me, it's just maturity where I'm old enough now that it's I know I don't need to dislike someone to want to race hard on track with them where like I know in, in back in the day, like I would be more aggressive to drivers who I didn't like and I would kind of make a point of it. But now it's like, yeah, I, I will race everyone the same because I, I want to bring that intensity out of myself, like unconditionally of who it is. And that's for me, it's just more of a maturity where it's like, yeah, we, we can shake hands, whatever. But I mean, it's even like with Seb, you know, he was catching me the last 10 laps of the of the race in Abu Dhabi, his last ever race. But I was more motivated to beat him than you know, that ever. So it's like, it's, and, and my relationship with Seb is better than ever. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it's amazing at the moment, but it didn't change my, my will to beat him on track. And that's just kind of a, I would just put it down to a bit of maturity. I, I know there's a, an element of what goes on tour stays on tour. So I'm not going to ask for any secrets from that dinner, yeah. but there was rumors going around. Oh no. That, well, no, no. <laughs> no, only about the cost. I heard 140k mentioned. Of no, course, course oh, it, I mean, I saw, I saw a receipt. It was, it was even a, mentioned a picture of a commentary. receipt, but it was not even. We were at a different restaurant, right? So I saw a receipt from, um, I don't know, I think it was Salt Bay or whatever, Nuzaret, and it was. That's not where we ate, so that was a fake one. So I, when I saw one, I was like, okay, there could be so many fakes out there. But I did find myself looking on the internet to see what is the most expensive meal you can get and there is a, a taco that you can get in Cabo on the west coast of Mexico that costs 25 grand it's laced with gold what? Kobe beef yes. okay, is, is eating gold good for you like can we address it's that it's very, it's like, <laughs> I know you need I your iron <laughs> and you need a few minerals but gold? I don't know if you need gold I think it, it passes through you so what a waste right <laughs> But anyway, the point is, you, uh, there is 25k, but uh, it clearly wasn't uh, anything like as expensive as that. But uh, are you allowed to say what you ate? Yeah. So, so I don't know what the bill was because one of the drivers kindly took it. 
So I I would not know what it was, but I would say we we definitely didn't like splurge. Like it was a normal dinner. Of course, it's going to be expensive when there's twenty people attending a dinner, but it was uh, it was normal food. You Can know you what I mean? The maitre d'. I've got twenty Formula One drivers. Gentlemen, let me give you our special <laughs> Formula One menu. I, know. Right? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was. Uh, it's never going to be cheap, <laughs> but it was it was very. Um, I mean, yeah, the food was just food if you will there was no there was no show there was no like demonstration and was um, the food almost secondary to the banter yeah and the absolutely and the, yeah. absolutely i mean the food was we needed to eat something so whatever they bring out sweet but it was uh it was more just like the storytelling and um it was just nice like it was a long table but you know a few of us kind of moved around and tried to like you know mingle and enter enter the chat and yeah we we were all just like happy to spend the time together it was it was weird i mean i say weird only weird because as i said we'd never really had that but i, I will say like really the catalyst was seb you know because it was his last one and all of us respect him and, and we knew that it was going to be a big weekend for him and for sure emotional so you know i don't want to say it definitely wasn't fake how we were but i think there was an extra level of like us being let's make this special for seb you know like let's let's make sure we have a good night let our hair down because yeah, it's a nice a nice send off for him. Do you know why you have to come back in twenty four, twenty five, whenever it is? Is because you need a proper send off. Ah, from the drivers, I, from the paddock. I thought I actually <laughs> thought about that because I'm I, actually I saw, being serious. It thank you. Of, I mean, it, I'll take it as a compliment. It's meant, um, it's meant as a compliment. I've, I found myself as brilliant as the whole farewell to Seb was. Mick Schumacher was leaving. Nicholas Latifi was leaving. Your, we don't know. Yeah, and uh, I felt. A little bit sorry for some of the other guys, really. It's funny because although I may seem, I mean, I am like an attention seeker. I feel like I always have been. That's why I got in trouble a lot at school. But I'm not, of course, I would appreciate it. And that like if I was to come back and get like a bit of a send off, like said, like, of course, it would it would be very nice. But it's not something that I feel like I need. Or again, if I never race again, I'm totally okay with my last weekend in terms of like not having a big hurrah so yeah like i appreciate it and for sure like it was a nice thing and and what we did for seb and, and everyone did was beautiful but i don't i don't like uh, demand that attention or recognition um so yeah i don't i don't feel like if it is the end for me i don't feel like oh that's something oh i missed out like i'm cool with it yeah I don't really get too caught up on that stuff. <laughs> well, but let me go on record and say it was beautiful for Seb. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad really he was. was celebrated like that for yeah, sure. No, it was, it was a good vibe. Well, Daniel, it's been wonderful to chat. Thank you very much for your time. And speaking of time flies, we're having fun. <laughs> what does it say? Uh, six, yeah. So just over an hour. Perfect. What is time? Enchanté. <laughs> uh, I feel like I want to ask I say, you questions. Can I, DL, can I say, what is it with Enchanté? I hear you say it. Is it, <laughs> it two years at Renault taught you one word, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it was, um, this or is actually, really your clothing, funny. Oh, right, your clothing brand, has a, is there a line called Enchanté? Yeah, Enchanté. Right. And actually my, my niece and nephew made me this little Enchanté bracelet um, the Monday after the race at the kids club at the hotel so um it was it all it was really just started as a bit of a piss take um 
So, uh, actually, Natalie Pinkham's husband, Owen, he, uh, it was me, it was him and I that would, I've, I've known him now for 10 years or so, and um, we love UFC, like, we spend a lot of, like, social time together. When the time is right, we enjoy a drink and whatever, and uh, it just became something kind of silly, where we would just, like, would cheers and be like, hmm, enchanté, and introduce ourselves, and then, like, you know, you have a few drinks and you start acting like a kid and introduce ourselves and be like, hmm, enchanté. And it was just something silly, but it made us always giggle. It made us just feel like the idiots we are. Um, <laughs> so then it was like, okay, French team. And then I've been living in Monaco for however many years now, nearly 10 years, I think. And it's like, I don't really know many French words, but when I say enchanté, people are like, oh, you speak French. I'm like, absolutely not. But I know, I sound like I could, right? Yeah, well, no, I know and, uh, you have a clothing we range. Built, uh, yeah, we built something out of it and it's so, it's fun. It's uh, fun. Are you going to invest a bit of time in the businesses, whether it's, uh, what have we got? Yeah. We've got the wine business, we've got the clothing. Yeah, yeah, there's... Um, what else is there? Oh, there's definitely a few things. Um, but like, the, yeah, as, as an example, the wine, the clothing, like these are things that I, I really enjoy investing time into. And... It's also, again, it's very easy from the outside for people to be like, oh, you know, you just got to focus on F1 and the driving and this and that. But yes, 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, like when you're coming up and trying to just figure it all out, 100%, put all your energy into that. But at some point, you need a bit of a release. Like at some point, if you've just got Formula One, that's not for me. Like I need something else and actually learning about business or building something like not only am I proud about it, but it's like, it's exciting. So it's also a, for me personally, a very positive distraction. Like that's, that's how I'd say it. So these things are fun and, and it gives, yeah, next year gives me a chance to put a bit more energy into them. Well, look, have a great time in 2023. Final thought, when are we going to see you at a race? Do you know yet when we can look forward to seeing you? I mean, I would likely say Melbourne um, would probably be my first one. I got to check the calendar, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure Melbourne would be uh, that makes sense, and uh, any excuse to get back to Oz. So, yeah, if not sooner, probably Melbourne, mate. All right, look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much for your time. Happy Christmas. Thanks, mate. You too. I can eat as much as I want now. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Enchanté, Daniel. I love talking to DR, and I hope you agree that he was really interesting to listen to. He has a perspective on Formula One that few drivers have, and that will really help Red Bull in 2023. I found his thoughts on McLaren, on Lando Norris, and his relationship with the other drivers all fascinating. He would make a good TV pundit, wouldn't he? But I don't think that's on his radar, at least not in the near future. Daniel, many thanks for your time and enjoy whatever you get up to next year, especially that trip across the USA on those 110 motorbikes. Now, I hope you all enjoyed listening to Daniel and please give me your thoughts and stories on him. Send them to me at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter or use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid and I'll read out some of them at the end of next week's show. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Gunter Steiner after last week. Everyone loves Gunter. Have a listen to this from Shiv Bagnari. 
I've just listened to the episode with Gunter, and I have to say I was impressed. There's a lot of what people assume happens behind the scenes that leads them to conclusions. But this episode really gave me a whole new insight into management and into Formula One. Awesome episode. Well, thanks, Shiv. And what about this from Ben Johnston? Haas have usually started the season with a bang, then failed to keep up with development. Now they have a new title sponsor, they're able to reach the budget cap, and they have two experienced drivers to help them develop the car. So Haas could be a dark horse for the top six next year. Watch that space, Ben. Let's hear next from Barry Smith. Every time I hear Gunter talk, I hear hints of Nicky Lauda. He's so direct. Well, I hear that too, Barry. And finally, this from The Fleeing Dutchman. Great episode. Formula One needs teams like Haas. Without the mid and back of the grid, there would be no Formula One. Well, thanks for that. And I'm sure Haas are hoping to be more mid than back of the field next year. It's certainly exciting times ahead for the Haas F1 team. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. We love your feedback and read everything that you send in. And please remember to give us your thoughts and stories about Daniel ahead of next week's show. And if you'd like to hear more from Daniel, please check out his other Beyond the Grid appearances from 2019 and 2021. We've also got an interview with Lando Norris, where he talks about his relationship with Daniel as McLaren teammates. The links to those episodes are in the show description. Let me know what you think of this episode by leaving us a review on your podcast app and share it with a friend on social media. It's great to see new Formula One fans discovering the show every week. Now, I'll be back on Wednesday, December the 7th with another big Formula One interview. I'll give you a clue as to who it is. We're recording the episode in Monaco. (laughs) Okay, that doesn't really narrow it down, but it'll be worth the wait. Thanks so much for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.